Hey everyone, thanks again for tuning in. This is Justin Weinstein, your host, and another episode of Ways to Win with Weinstein. And just like all the other episodes, this episode is brought to you by none other than Weinstein Legal. And with offices in downtown Fort Lauderdale and downtown West Palm Beach, Weinstein Legal specializes in personal injury and criminal defense matters. Personal injury such as car accidents, slip and falls, and other forms of negligence. And criminal defense, arrests, investigations, DUI, restraining orders, and more. With attorneys and staff behind you to guide you every step of the way, the experienced legal team at Weinstein Legal works to get you the best results possible in your case. For a free consultation, call 954-845-0505. That's 954-845-0505. Or visit our website at www.weinstein-legal.com. This episode is also brought to you by Title Now. Title Now has five offices in the South Florida area, soon to be a sixth, as you'll find out in this episode. And they specialize in real estate closing, escrow, title, and other transactional law matters. Title Now is a one-stop shop for all of your title services, but they go beyond title or validating title or offering insurance. They offer a wide range of services that help individuals, agents, and lenders make the best decisions in real estate. Take the first step toward protecting your rights and interests today by contacting Title Now and visit their website for more information at titlenowfl.com. And our next guest on Ways to Win with Weinstein is none other than the co-owner and managing partner of Title Now, that is Tahir Nuhani. Now, I've known Tahir for over a decade now, and we get a chance to discuss how he came up with the idea of forming this business, Title Now. He's also the managing partner of his own law firm, um, but more, most importantly, what I'm excited about in this episode is discussing his partnerships. Um, he has two partners that came in uh, to help him with Title Now when it was founded in 2015. Uh, and we discuss the way that he goes about making decisions with these partners, uh, their strengths and weaknesses, uh, and, and other things that I think people would want to know in regards to uh, partnerships. Uh, we tend to explore his religion and his background and how that affects his business uh, and personal life. Um, I also get to kind of figure out where he thinks the market, the real estate market, is going in Fort Lauderdale and uh, South Florida. If you'd like to reach out to Tahir to ask questions, you can contact me personally, or you can also email him at Tahir, that's T-A-H-I-R, at TitleNowFL.com. That's Tahir at TitleNowFL.com. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with Tahir. Let's get to it. On Ways to Win with Weinstein, I'm Justin Weinstein, and my fourth guest today is Tahir Nuhani. Tahir is the co-owner and the managing partner of Title Now LLC. They specialize in real estate, closing, escrow, title, transactional law matters, all of that. So Tahir, can you introduce yourself? I think you just did a great job. Um, I'm Tahir Nuhani, like you said. I'm a uh, real estate attorney and uh, the co-owner of Title Now, uh, which is a title company with offices here throughout South Florida. Um, what else? What else do we uh, 
do you well, need to know as far yeah, as an, an introduction? I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, so I don't know how, how in-depth you've followed Ways to Win with Weinstein, but the, the concept of the show is introducing uh, and interviewing local entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, founders of companies in the local uh, South Florida area, uh, specifically now Fort Lauderdale. The first three guests that I had were um, owners of their businesses in South Florida. And what we're trying to do is find out a little bit more of how you got to where you were, your secret uh, success stories, um, you know, the methods that you use in order to uh, gain competitive advantage, to build your business, because we know that Title Now has been uh, founded since 2015, has now 13 employees, uh, and you offer a wider range of services in that uh, real estate sector. Yep. So if you could, um, what I'd like to do, if you want, is give just a brief overview of what Title Now does, um, but then also a little intro of yourself, where you're from, uh, maybe a little bit about your upbringing, uh, and then we can dive into more specific topics. Yeah, so I think it makes more sense to probably start with me personally. Um, I'm a South Florida native. I was born in Miami, uh, raised in Fort Lauderdale, went to Cypress Bay for high school. Um, I did my undergrad at UCF, go Knights. I went, eventually went to law school at uh, UF in Gainesville, uh, moved back down here. Uh, I knew there was nowhere else I was I was even considering ever moving. I knew I was always going to be back down here. Have you ever um, lived anywhere else? Outside of college, no. Um, so, obviously Orlando and Gainesville when I went to school. But uh, outside of that, I've, I've never, nor would I ever even consider it, honestly. Um, there's a lot of things I think we probably take for granted living down here. The weather, the ocean, um, and whatnot. But... I wouldn't trade those things for the world. So I don't think there's anywhere else um, I would even consider kind of calling my home base. Just a weird, weird off-topic question. When you started and founded Title Now, did you think that South Florida would be the optimum location for it? Or have you ever thought about expanding elsewhere um, or being elsewhere? All right. So let's get into that. Um, so I started Title Now in 2015. I'll kind of explain how that came about. So I graduated law school in 2012. Uh, my first job out of law school was doing civil litigation work at like a mid-sized, small, smaller firm up in Delray. So uh, for those of you that don't know, litigation work is what you would see on TV as, as probably what you think a lawyer does, um, but it's not nearly as exciting as that. Um, what area of law was it? So it was typically like business litigation between either a business dispute. Typically, it was like a business dispute between partners. Um, and so what ended up happening was I, I started to realize, I would say like six months in, it was actually a particular case. It was, uh, I forget what kind of business it was, but it was essentially a partner that was no longer part of the company suing the other partner. Uh, they used to be like best friends. I mean, typical kind of business story that had a falling out over money, whatever. Um, I remember just kind of laying in bed one night and being like, not really having a, a sense of fulfillment because I felt like I was literally just, I had filed something earlier that day in court. And I remember being like, what the hell am I even doing? Like, I felt like I was being paid to essentially just bother the other side or be a nuisance to his ex-partner rather than doing anything to actually help someone. They were arguing about, about 
over an amount of money that was inconsequential to either of them. Um, I don't even think it was about the money at all. It was more so principal and kind of just really pissing off the other person. But this guy is essentially paying me to do so. Um, we can kind of go into to why I felt that way at the time. But I just didn't have a sense of fulfillment in the sense of I felt like I was just a well-paid botherer of this other guy who I don't even know who was right and wrong, honestly. Um, so your idea at law school was not coming out and being paid to bother another, you know, a partner of a company. No, or no, no. Some so, sort of little amount of money to them and just not fulfilled. Which kind of ties into how I even got into it. Um, I think a lot of attorneys that you probably talk to and that you know are almost like natural lawyers in the sense of like, hey, I always knew I wanted to do this. Um, and I feel like a typical attorney almost has like a, um, a social profile or like almost like a, um, a, a type of personality. Um, How would you describe that? I don't know. Maybe even, um, I don't want to say argumentative, but maybe uh, I think that a certain type of attorney or a certain type of personality probably excels at the the intricacies of and I'm probably just generalizing as far as like litigation but that's I think what most attorneys probably either do or think they're going to do uh, when they're in school um, so my thing was always I kind of went to law school and eventually became an, an attorney by accident um, my entire family's in healthcare so that's kind of like been their thing my dad's a psychiatrist uh, my older brother's an ER doc uh, my sister's a physician's assistant. It was always kind of um, my cousin's an anesthesiologist. So it was almost like uh, my entire family was, was really in that, that field. Um, so naturally, I wasn't someone, like I said, that grew up that kind of knew what I wanted to do ever. So college is, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but it was a lot of, hey, let me take this class, see how I like it. Let me take, do this. Having no clue. Um, you're kind of just living for those Wednesday nights that are 10 bucks, all you can drink, like, great, right? <laughs> um, without really kind of giving too much thought into, hey, in three years, I'm going to be done here. Like, what the hell am I going to do? You're kind of just, whatever, let's have fun with freshman year of school, whatever. Um, so I think I kind of uh, got into it, like I said, almost almost by accident. I, I originally was a biology major in college. I was taking science classes because, like I said, my entire family, that's really all I knew. Um, Did they push you to do that? Or yeah, was that your I, own? I, I think um, push is probably a strong word. I think um, it was almost an unspoken thing of like, hey, this is what everyone else is doing. It was almost just like an understood thing more so than like, hey, this is what you're going to do. I think once you reach a certain age, it's kind of like, hey, I wasn't living at home. It's like no one's going to really tell me what to do. But um I think it was probably like an understood thing just because everyone else had done it. What moved you toward law? So I actually had, I was, I was a biology major. I was taking legal studies. UCF is one of the few colleges that actually offers legal studies. It's not even like political science, like legal studies as a, as a major. I was taking that as a minor. Um, I think I was probably in like my second semester of taking boring ass science classes. Um, that I was just like, listen, I, I can't do this anymore. I was like learning about molecules. I was like, bro, this is not <laughs> me at all. Um, on the flip side, again, I was taking legal studies as a minor. I was really enjoying those classes, um, which were essentially, they do it really cool there. So it's the same classes I ended up taking in law school, 
just as I mean obviously like on, on not not on that same level um, but, but it I, was good to prepare you for a lot. yeah absolutely okay. so I was taking I mean evidence property law like those kind of classes in college and I enjoyed that a lot more but never to the point where I was like man I could even see myself being a lawyer because my kind of um, interpretation or vision of what a lawyer was 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 not something uh, I really found too attractive as far as like being in court all day. That wasn't something. Anyway, long story short, I was like, whatever, man. Uh, I, I chose it as my major. The LSAT's there. I still wasn't even convinced I wanted to go to law school, but I'm like, I, whatever. It's my major. Let me just take the LSAT. I've always been, I think one of my strengths is I've always been a good um, standardized test taker. Uh, even if whatever, my grades didn't reflect that. I was always very, very good at like studying and, and, and doing good on like those one-off tests. So I was like, look, let's just see how it goes. Ended up doing great on the LSAT, um, got scholarships to go to law school. And then it was like, all right, cool, man. Like, what's the alternative at this point? Like you have a free ride to go to law school or go figure it out doing something else. Did you have any idea at that point or um, you were still winging it and decided still law was it, like man. the next Still thing. winging it. It was so, just... Yeah, I, you know, based on what you're telling me, and I'm, I'm going to let you continue in a minute, there are a couple of things that came to mind that were very interesting about your statement. First of all, your perspective about law was something that you kind of pushed to the side. You had, you had thoughts that, like, I'm not really, I don't want to go to the court or, or anything like that, and you still, you still went after it. Did you seek out advice from other people at that point to be like, is this what law is all about, or is this, like, a path that I want to go down, or you just kept winging it? So I... Um it was weird, man. I think in hindsight, I probably should have. I think it was almost one of those things where, I mean, my, my parents, just being immigrants, have always stressed education on a, on a certain level. Again, they might have been, go, you, go, you go to medical school or wherever you go, um, but always some kind of higher level of education. So Not just college. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, I don't even think, honestly, anyone in my family had, had just gone to college and like, done something from there um it had always been kind of and really in the medical field um so i think with me it was almost like i was i had kind of almost been cornered into a position where i was like all right this is my major i did great on the lsat well that's really my only um option it wasn't something i was super against but it definitely wasn't something i was again i'm not one of those people that were like i knew i was going to be a lawyer when i was five years old i was going and winning moot court that's not right. my thing, you know? Um, so even with law school, man, so I ended up obviously deciding to go to law school. I moved to Gainesville. Um, there was really not anything that I took in my all my curriculum there that had me like super. And I, I know that's kind of where a lot of people have their epiphany, too, is they maybe take a class or two in law school. That's like, wow, yeah. I really enjoy this. Or an internship. Or right. Something. something. Um even that wasn't the case. Right. So now I, I've graduated from law school, uh, studied, passed the bar, had my bar license, and even still I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do for the next 40 years of my life, you know? Um, At that point, you're scared? Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's just, a, I mean, it's just the way our society's kind of set up. But I think at that time I was, what, 25 years old? Um Age is funny, man, and I always say this, but like, at 25, I'm sure I had everything figured out, right? Uh, hey, 
I know this, this, and this. And then at 28, you look back, you're like, I didn't know shit at 25. And then you hit 30, and you're like, all right, 30, got my shit together, whatever, da 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 da. I'm 34 now. I look back and I'm like, man, I didn't know a damn thing. So I think, um, and it's tough. I I don't even think just for me, but I think most people, again, being 25 and having to decide, hey, for the next rest of my career, 30, 40 years, I have to kind of choose what I want to do right now. Um, There's a lot of pressure there. A lot of pressure. And I think people just don't really know. So you end up kind of just... Particularly for attorneys, I think um, I had to take out loans um, to obviously go to law school. So I think once the pressure of, hey, I have to pay back all this money, your desire almost takes a back seat to like, hey, I have responsibilities in terms of bills. Let me kind of push that to the side because I really need a job. Um, so let me just go get my bills paid regardless. And I can kind of figure it out later. But I think that initial pressure of like, hey, cool, you can't tell this loan company that you're still trying to figure out what kind of law you want to do. It's like, hey, your bills are due either way on the first, so go So that pushes you to maybe take an initial job that is in an area that you don't really want. Yeah. So Along with a job market that probably isn't giving you the options necessary uh, to fulfill your dream or, or whatever it is that you want to do. I think um, particularly in the, in the law field, it's extremely oversaturated uh, with attorneys. Um, I think a lot of times, and it's funny, even my my classmates who got great jobs out of law school have since either like got out of law completely or have maybe changed firms three times since then. You know, yeah. so I don't I don't even think it was a matter of um, kind of even even if you knew what you wanted to do, you might not have been in the, in the proper fit. And again, that's a lot of pressure for someone that's twenty five and like, hey, all these bills are all of a sudden here. Um, to do so yeah i think it kind of it kind of makes you almost sink or swim in the sense of like hey let me put my own desires to the side because i have other things that i need to accomplish and the only thing that can really help me do that is a paycheck like asap so let me just go find any job i can get right now again like you said the job market wasn't especially good so it's not like you have the luxury of saying hey let me go get a job in x field yeah and this was 2008 or 9 right uh no no, 2012 2012. 2012 that's right um, so for everybody listening, I've known I've known to here now for over a decade, um, and you know we've been able to discuss uh, business, and we've we've actually we co-founded a, a charitable organization called Connect for a Cause um, that was basically um, networking and people who uh, are in different fields coming together to uh, support different causes. We did that from I think it was 2016, 17, and 18, and then it kind of disbanded. Um, trying to get back into that area as well, which we can talk about. Um, that was just a little bit more of how we know each other. Uh, but I would also say that, um, you know, we're still very much, I'm like, I'm, I just bought a townhouse and I'm using uh, title now for my title services. Can you um, tell us from the time that you graduated law school and now you went into that one job, you know, in Delray yeah. as a litigator, <laughs> yeah. where did this idea stem from? So I actually, it's funny, you mentioned it earlier, but I had an internship um, in law school uh, that had done, they, they had dabbled in, in real estate law. Um, and so and so did uh, my firm up in Delray. It just wasn't a big part of their practice, and I didn't really work on that side directly. Um, but what I noticed was 
people that were coming into the office to have their closing, it was typically a young, excited buyer that was maybe buying their first home or if they bought many homes or whatever. Anyway, they're getting the keys to their house when this is all said and done. Then you had a, a seller who was also in the room and, and that guy's happy too because he is getting a large amount of money for selling his house. There was no um, kind of quarrel. There was no really dispute there. Everyone's happy and I'm like, this is awesome. This looks like, way this more is, attractive. Yeah, <laughs> like everyone's happy to see me. I walk in the room, I'm handing one person a set of house keys to their new home and the other guy's getting a big check or wire, whatever. Mm-hmm. Everyone's happy, everyone's high-fiving, we're popping uh, champagne at the at the closing table, it's a great time. I'm like, I have this all wrong. Like, so then you learn more about the process there? Uh, yeah, so I eventually, long story short, I end up leaving there and, and kind of uh, starting my own law firm at the time. I was doing title under my law firm um, for about a year. I eventually ended up creating title now a separate entity um, because I kind of wanted to just have that standalone from the rest of the legal services that I was providing also. And I mean, the attorneys or the non-attorneys probably don't realize this, but um, the Florida bar is extremely strict about marketing and advertising as a law firm you have to abide by certain rules and and regulations of the florida bar it becomes a nuisance when uh, you just want to kind of get certain things accomplished for example you let's say you might want to send out a mailer to people there's there might be specific language like small print that you have to add and get approved uh that would that was just like I was, was like, look, to, yeah, to avoid all that. what you to do is focus on the title work instead of a legal uh, section. So but. I always say, man, I started title now, and what I eventually realized pretty quickly, and I still say this to this day, is I have a, a marketing company disguised as a, as a title and escrow company. And what I mean by that is, so, so basically, essentially, what we do at title now is uh, if you're buying or selling anything, really, I always like to kind of even just dumb it down. Say I'm se- selling you this this pen here. Um, if you're buying this pen for a dollar that's in front of us, I'm like, hey, Justin, I have this pen for sale. You want to buy it? You're like, sure, I want to buy it. One, you need to know that I actually own this pen and that I have the right to sell it to you. Because if you just take this pen and give me a dollar and someone else is knocking on your door tomorrow like, hey, what happened to my pen? I heard you have my pen. And you're like, but I gave so-and-so a dollar for the pen. Whatever. Okay. Um, not only that, but you need to know... Um, or sorry, I need to know as a seller that you have skin in the game. And if you say, hey, I'll buy that pen from you tomorrow for a dollar, I'm not just going to kind of sit around and wait for you to show up tomorrow with a dollar. What I might do is say, okay, cool, give me 50 cents now. And then if you don't come back tomorrow, um, I get to keep your 50 cents. If you come back tomorrow, that 50 cents will be applied to the dollar and then you take the pen. Skin in the game. Right. But on your end, you don't want to give me that 50 cents. So essentially where title now comes in, and obviously that's a very dumbed down uh, kind no, of No, but it's good because I feel like a lot of people listening might not have ever bought a home or yeah. ever been in that position to know really how that exchange works. So we are essentially a third party company that will hold the escrow. So that like initial deposit. So when you go to buy a house, typically you have to put up an initial deposit of X percent. Let's say it's 5% of the home price to let the seller know, hey, look, we're, we're serious about buying this home. If for some reason we don't close, you get to keep that money. We're the third party that keeps that money. We also do the searches. So we do basically all the legal side of a real estate transaction where 
we make sure there's no liens on the property, um, that the seller actually owns the property. Right. That's that um, section. They yeah. Are, they own everything. There's no uh, encumbrances, anything uh, that would be on the title that would hinder them from selling it. Right. So let's say the owner slash seller built a pool on the property. That guy that built the pool, the contractor, is typically going to put a lien on the property until he gets paid in full. Those liens run with the land, not the seller. So when the seller sells that house to a buyer, if the seller never paid that pool guy, now the buyer is responsible for paying them. So we essentially clean off or dust off the property to make sure, hey, look, there's no issues when the buyer's buying the property. He is buying it clear of any of those issues and he owns it outright. There's nobody that re redid the top of this pen exactly. that's, that's trying to get paid for doing that work and before you try and sell it. Exactly. Okay. Um, Very important part because that could ruin the whole deal yeah, for either then, party. And then the kind of the most fun part for me and the part that I'm, I'm really most involved in at this point is the end of the transaction. So we draft all the legal paperwork, the deed, um, the bill of sale, all that stuff to actually transfer the property um, from the seller to the buyer, which we then record with the uh, county public records. Um, and then, like I said, at the end, my favorite part is handing over keys to a new buyer. They're obviously super excited to be getting a new home. Sellers getting a large amount of money typically for, for selling. So everyone's happy. Um, they that's leave my office. That's got to be where your fulfillment comes in. Exactly. On, on this area. So, and that kind of just circling back to what I was saying before, but that sense of fulfillment I actually feel like what I do every day matters and that I, I play an important role in people's lives and I'm able to, to genuinely help them. Not like, hey, here's some money, go bother this other guy. Because at that point, I don't feel like my expertise or, or really my uh, involvement in a particular matter was, was really doing any good. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what helps me sleep at night um, is, is really knowing that every day I'm, I'm, I'm doing something good for someone or typically both parties um and that they leave there not like hey screw that attorney it's like wow we would have never been able to do that on our own thank you so much for making this experience a memorable one okay and so would you say that your market is saturated would you say there's a million title companies out there um, in South there Florida? are so that kind of goes back to when i started my company um i didn't really have and this is kind of one of the questions we spoke about before I didn't really have a, a mentor or it wasn't really a field that I had a crazy amount of knowledge or experience in as far as doing the work or like having worked under someone that I could kind of emulate. But I actually think that ended up being a complete blessing in disguise because it made me look at the industry as a whole and I said, hey, look, there's a bunch of title companies out here. There's a bunch of real estate attorneys they all seem to be pretty, pretty old. Um, and it's funny because your, your first episode with, with Steve Shorts, this is kind of almost identical. Um, but I think it was very stale uh, business. We're not, and we're not only just talking about age, even though that's what you're referencing, old, uh, like the, the founders and how long it's been around, but the way they were doing things, right. is that the same? Exactly. So here's kind of how it works is... A realtor will help a buyer find a help a buyer find a home, right? And typically, the realtor is the one uh, that is recommending a title company. But you do need a title company on every transaction. So I felt like there was a level of complacency there, where all these kind of older attorneys didn't really have any incentive to change their ways because they've been doing this for twenty years. They have their book of business. 
people have to use them. So there's no reason to really be innovative or kind of turn the industry on its head because it's working. And, and, then, they, and then on your end as well, it's con continuity um, and being able to know that every transaction needs this area. Yeah. So I think it really forced me to say, look, if I want to do this, what can I do differently? And I think not having almost bad habits or whatever you want to call them in the sense of uh, experience or, or having seen how it was done the quote unquote old way uh, made me really kind of kind of shift the mindset of my company, which was not, I think what most people are doing is, hey, I'm a lawyer, you have to use a lawyer for this kind of transaction, so uh, why not use me? I really had the blessing at the time of uh, a lot of my good friends ended up going into real estate. Um, so when I graduated law school, I kind of had the, the luxury of, of having conversations with them about like, hey, who are you using as your title company now? Why do you use them? And no one really ever had a good answer. It was kind of like, I don't know, man. They was this are, before or after you opened? This was when I was doing a title under my law firm and thinking of, hey, if I open a title separate title company, this is kind of what my vision should be or this is kind of what I want to hang my hat on because I don't have those same 20, 25 year relationships with the realtors that these older attorneys had that kind of already had their established businesses. But I figured a question that I was going to see a lot and one of the obstacles was going to be, hey, why should I do business with you? And that's like something that I wanted to unequivocally like have a very good answer for to where it's like, hey, we do X, Y, Z that that company is not doing um, to so, where it's almost like a no brainer. Yeah. So added value. So where did you come apart? Where, where did you come across doing that? So what? I really had, like I said, I had I had the luxury of having close friends that I had lunches with and sit downs with and like, hey, what would you like to see done? Um, and again, I think it, there was a sense of complacency with existing real estate attorneys and title companies. They didn't really have a reason to offer more services than they needed to to acquire business because mm -hmm. uh, they were just kind of the old name on the block, you know? Um, so I think I had to work a little harder and maybe strategize about what I wanted to do. Um, so really my whole kind of aim was to be resource-centric towards real estate agents because I knew that was going to be my bread and butter and that was who's going to be referring me business. So it's a lot of conversations with real estate agents like, look, I think initially it was like, hey, what do you need done? Um, let's talk about like what you would see it uh, or what you would like to see your title company do. A lot of those things ended up being, hey, I kind of want more of a, a partner in the trenches with me um, that's helping me grow my business and in turn growing their own business. Um, so how can we accomplish that? So then it was really sitting down kind of figuring out ways, um, whether it was kind of co-sponsoring uh, networking events with them and inviting my clients, inviting their clients, kind of get everyone in one room. Um, I think really the thing that was a huge breakthrough, what I started to realize is that a lot of realtors were using what's called the transaction coordinator. A transaction coordinator is basically like a, an assistant that they were paying per transaction to just handle all like the paper pushing so they could be out selling homes. And they were typically paying like four to 500 bucks to their transaction coordinator on every single transaction. 
what I ended up doing was I just hired an in-house transaction coordinator that worked for my company that I had that I gave to these realtors and said, hey, if you use me, I have one on staff that you can use. Um, and kind of how I pitched it was, I want you to leverage your time because the less time you're spending, let's say drafting a contract or drafting an addendum, gives you more time to be out there selling the next home, meaning that I get more closings. So is it fair to say that the old way would have been that they would have needed this transaction coordinator, a title company, maybe a couple of other companies to then finalize a deal, whereas now you are adding value by saying, do it all right here. Yeah, so I think being a one-stop shop, um, I think really just consolidation of services and kind of just having everything under one roof. Um, a lot of title companies out there, I found out, weren't attorney-owned. So when there was an issue with a transaction and let's say the buyer or the seller wasn't doing what they were supposed to do, there was no attorney there to step in and be like, hey, da-da-da-da-da, interpret. documents and All that stuff. So I think that was a... Having an attorney in-house was a was a big thing. Um, it was little stuff, man. Honestly, giving everyone my cell phone number. I think our generation isn't really a nine-to-five type. Like, we are... 24-7. Exactly. You need um, access. And so it was like, hey, I was always on top of my emails, text messages, whatever. You can give me a call. I'll help you whenever. So I think just kind of building those those little relationships and, like you said, adding that value over time... Um, really became a huge kind of a, a trump card in my corner in the sense of when I would sit down with agents and they're like, hey, why should I use you? That question always came up, right? Um, and this, are you going to give advice in relation to every business? Like, why should we use you? Or is this specific to title? So I think the, obviously the, the reasons that I found are probably specific to my industry. But in terms of that question and and prior to either starting a business or Look, if, if you've if you've kind of had a, a business for a couple of years now, you've probably already figured out the answer to that, whether it's um, something you've realized you figured out or not. Uh, but I think if you if you've been open and you've managed to be successful for a while now, you've probably thought about that, even if it's subconsciously. But I think starting out, or uh, if, you're, if you're thinking about going into something, that's probably the first thing you need to answer is. Uh, why should someone use your services and, and kind of how are you adding value and as opposed to just being another person on the block that doesn't really have any differentiating factors uh, from from the next company that's doing what you're doing. Um, because at that point, you're kind of just hoping and praying someone likes you or wants to do you a favor uh, and use your services as opposed to the 10 that are, that are down and the street. For you, this was consolidation of services in, in the industry? I think, I think it was a resource-centric approach. So I think it was, it was asking the realtors, which no one bothered ever doing, because again, these title companies almost were entitled because they had to have business. So they were just getting business without really doing much. But I think when you're starting out, it's, hey, what can I do for you? Like, what problems do you see in the title process that could be fixed? Um, now, so why specifically, for, for people that don't know this industry, why specifically the realtors and not the people buying and selling the homes? Because um, so they're the like ones any, who assist and, and give options as to those companies? Yeah, so it's like anything else, I think. And this goes back to kind of giving more general uh, advice um, across, across business sectors. But it's more so about, hey, who's going to be your bread and butter? Who's going to be... Um, Really, it's the it, they call it the eighty twenty rule, where eighty percent of your referrals might come from only twenty percent of 
of, of individuals that are actually sending you business. So I, what, I, what I wanted to concentrate on is really that 20% of people that are going to be sending me that 80% of business. Um, That's and, a great point. And That's an 80-20 principle, the book. Yeah. Right. So forgot the author, but yeah. Um, so that's really what I wanted to concentrate on. And the realtors are the ones look, I mean, how many of you out there listening know a title company off the top of your head? You typically don't. So all of a sudden you probably know a realtor that it's like, Hey, let me use this realtor to help me buy my house. But then it gets that next step and it's like, Oh, we have to put in a deposit. Well, where do we do it? And it's the realtors that really have those relationships um, because they are referring over and over and over as opposed to someone that might be buying a house. I think the average is every five years. And someone Uh, just looking you up online or something, knowing that they need a title company. Yeah. So um, that is kind of who I've been able to really, I don't even say, I mean, yeah, they're, they're referral sources for me, but we've gotten to the point where it's, it's really a a partnership because my business feeds theirs and, and theirs feeds mine. Um, so I think over, over the period of time in the last five years, it's been more so a, a partnership because you are working so closely mm-hmm. together. It's not just kind of you going about your day and all of a sudden you have some new business. Well, what's great to expand on, I think, uh, in, in the general business uh, mindset is that you found out what they needed, right? The realtors, the people that fed you a lot of business, like going back to describe the 80-20 rule, 20 20% of your referral sources or your clients give you 80% of the business. Right. And you can use that rule along like how much money you're making from a specific source or how much of your inventory is yielding a certain amount of income, um, depending on whatever your business is. So you went after what the need was, right? And, and determined what it was based on the fact that the old practices, the old ways, they weren't doing that. They were being basically complacent with being the one that they've always used until you came along and disrupted the industry. And I think a lot of times what happens is business owners, they have a sense of pride or arrogance and they may be rigid in in how they foresee their business going or what they foresee their services to be. And a lot of times, man, the easiest thing is just literally like to your customers, again, going back to that, that 80-20 thing, the people that are sending you the business is, what do you need? Like, how can I be of service to you and just really taking the time to understand their needs and how you can really assist them and where your role fits in into their business um, go, goes so far. And I think a lot of people almost, it sounds so stupid and so easy, but I think a lot of people maybe either forego that or they overlook really tapping into that um, because they have already planned out and are extremely rigid in this is how it's going to be, this is how I'm going to do things um, without really... S- figuring out like, hey, maybe I should do it this way because the people that I'm selling my services to would prefer that. Have you ever have you ever been surprised by what someone asks is, asks you for? Any realtors or anything as far as <sighs> when you ask them that question? I think 90% of the time it's the same stuff because they are getting a, I don't know, I would say maybe just adequate level, level of service, not anything extraordinary. And so like I mentioned earlier, what my company really focuses on and what I I really stress to my employees is, so we technically only see our buyers and sellers, we only really see them face to face on the day of closing. Um, So I have really one chance to like hit a home run in in terms of their experience with my office. Right. Be impressed. Exactly. So um, I think a lot of times my goal is to just make the realtor look good. How we do that is, is really just making the actual closing experience memorable. 
I mean, we'll come in, you'll sign your documents, great. I think any, anyone can be competent um, in a lot of different facets, but I don't think competency gets someone to leave your office and maybe go tell their neighbors, hey, you have to go use this company because they're competent. I don't think anyone says that. Um, I think it's, like you said, remarkable, extraordinary service. Hey, I had a time that I didn't think I was going to have. So how we try to do it is just make the, the closing experience fun, um, pop champagne, pour champagne, uh, <laughs> pop confetti poppers in, in the closing table. Honestly, almost over the top, um, which was kind of my aim is to make it almost ridiculous in the sense of like, hey, wow, this is like a mm-hmm. production um, type of thing. So I think that's kind of um, how we how we view our business. And, and it's tough. I always compare it to like a, a wedding planner um, where a wedding planner is doing their job every single day. And typically their clients are just their wedding is obviously the most important wedding in the world. And it's that one day, which is the biggest day of their lives. The wedding planner has to understand that that's the biggest day of their lives, even though they're doing this every single day. Or every weekend or whatever whatever it is, it is. so you you've told me you've had multiple you, you've set up days where you have you know 10 12 closings at once and that's the challenge is treating every one of those 10 or 12 closings like it's the only closing of the day mm-hmm. without kind of running into that exhaustion i mean like i said i mean how many damn times am i going to walk in and and pop confetti and pretend <laughs> to be excited put that but, on a highlight reel yeah <laughs> but over but over it's but some days some days it's it's 10 12 times a day and that's really I want to make sure that the people that are leaving there are not only grateful that I was part of that process, but again, are leaving there and and really happy with the services to where they feel compelled to go tell someone about it. And that's kind of what I street, uh, preach to my staff is it's not good enough just to be competent. Yep. Um, I, I mean, kind of the, the, the barrier in the sense of the floor is is, hey, they need to leave here and say, hey, I had a really great experience with you. Uh, to the point where I feel compelled to to just tell someone about it. Awesome, awesome. So um, one thing that I was very excited to talk about with you is the fact that as I, in, you know, as I introduced you, you are a uh, a managing partner. You're one of three. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. So you have two other partners. Yeah. How did so did that start from the very get go of Title Now, or did that mold into three partners? Uh, no. So so it actually molded into three partners, and I think. Um, a lot of it. So my partners are are Michael and Wendy. Um, they had skill sets that I didn't necessarily have. Um, so Michael's background is in uh, more so he does he handles like a lot of the marketing stuff um, and kind of like that whole aspect of uh, branding and stuff like that. Wendy's whole background. Wendy was actually a transaction coordinator for years. Um, so Wendy's for. Do you mind sharing? Was it a number of different um, agents, or yeah, yeah? So okay. Wendy, Wendy was a essentially she had her own transaction part or transaction coordinator company. Um, so her expertise is really on the operation side, um, and really knowing what needs to be done for the realtors, kind of like the back of her hand. So when it was like, hey, this is going to be my ad- added value. Um, in the sense of how I'm going to differentiate myself from from other companies, um, it just happens, man. Wendy was Wendy's was the person to, and I'm so grateful for the both of them because, like I said, their their strengths are things that I maybe aren't necessarily the best at. Um, so I think we we complement each other well. Okay, so so we know that, and this was from the get go. Right? Uh, not from the very get go, but I think it was uh, very 
very yeah, early into on. it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So within the first year. So what's interesting and what's what's great about that is that you recognized, uh, I wouldn't say weaknesses, but opportunities for you to grow through finding people that have those particular strengths. And so, how did you end up meeting them? Uh, was it just through the business uh, in the beginning? Yeah. So it's kind of um, it's funny, man. Real estate is just a very small world here in uh, South Florida. Um, Wendy, again, was a transaction coordinator. We had agents that were already using her services. So uh, one of the things, Wendy was like, hey, I can kind of expand the book of business because obviously the people that are already using me for their transaction coordinator services would continue to use me and it would just obviously grow the grow the company. Um, Michael, Michael and I had been friends actually um, prior to him joining the company. Um, he just happened to be working um, with a title company, a separate title company. Um, and he wasn't, didn't have any ownership stake there, and it just made sense uh, to bring him on. So I think we, a lot of the, a lot of the kind of added aspects were not only that level of expertise, um, but they each had their own kind of book of businesses. So it allowed me to almost triple the, the size of the company uh, overnight, uh, because now all of a sudden I wasn't kind of being the one solely counted on to be bringing files and customers through the door and handling all this operation stuff, which I mean, for any small business owner, it just gets overwhelming. You can only kind of do, there's only so many hours in a day, um, particularly, like I said, in an area where I wasn't necessarily the most experienced or I didn't have um, years and years of knowledge to know, hey, this is how this kind of business is, is supposed to run. Um, so I think it was, it was a home run and, and in hindsight, it, it worked out yeah, tremendously. It's lasted now another five years yeah. since it started, which is amazing. And it's grown up to 13 employees. Uh, what I kind of want to touch on, because we didn't get to it before when uh, we introduced you and you talked a little bit about your upbringing. Can you tell me a little bit about your previous job experiences? Yeah, I've done it all, man. So um, prior to kind of like nothing in the legal field, I, in high school, man, I was a... Like what was your very first job? My very first job was being a camp counselor at American Heritage Day Camp. Okay. Um, I don't even I know. I went there one year. Yeah, one I don't summer. even know what I was making. It obviously was not <laughs> a lot of money. Uh, it was that, and then that was during the summer, and then that turned into refereeing football and basketball games at Regional Park in Weston for $7 a game. Um, and those <laughs> were, those were my, my first jobs, man. Um, after that, I think I, I, college came around. I did the whole, like worked at nightclub thing. Um, I served tables. I still, to this day say serving tables was the hardest and most important job that I've had. I think any restaurants we would know. Uh, so I was living in Orlando at the time I worked at. NBA City in uh, City Walk there outside of Universal Studios, um, which was actually pretty cool. I'm a huge sports fan, so uh, basketball players would always come by. I remember seeing Shaq in there, Grant yeah. Hill. There's t tons of people. Um, it's funny, man. I think almost like that should be a job that everyone is required to have. Service. Um, just service in, in any kind of capacity. I, I think it really teaches you how to... A couple different skills, actually, I learned from there. I think it teaches you how to, particularly there, because it was uh, somewhere that there was a lot of tourists, literally from all over. So you could have, 
I mean, a table from literally anywhere in the country. So I think it, it teaches you how to approach and anywhere talk to people. Anywhere in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in the Orlando, world. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so I think it, appro- it teaches you how to approach and, and speak to people. I think it teaches you how to deal with things not going so well. And it sounds dumb, but I'm sure anyone that owns a business um, at some point has dealt with, hey, I'm, na- I'm not able to deliver what I promised. Um, whether it be you sell you sell an item and it's on back order with your supplier, whatever. Um, but something as simple as, hey, I know you ordered the pork chop. We're out of pork chop and you having to be the one to kind of give that bad news. So I think that there's uh, strength in learning how to kind of deliver that bad news in the proper way, but also take responsibility for it. Um, and it's funny, man, I never thought that that would apply in a managerial sense when when you're either dealing with clients or, or dealing with your own staff. But but that's a, that's a huge skill in the sense of like being able to deliver that news in a way that doesn't piss the person off to let them know that you're still taking accountability and that you're going to make it right. Um, and it's funny. It started with 86 pork chops. Yeah. Um, 86 means we're out of that. Right. So... <laughs> that and then um i think just time management um being having (laughs) it's so funny man but at the time it was like the biggest stress of my life is like hey i'm super busy and i just got double sat with new tables yep i have to go deliver this food here this guy wants a refill on his diet coke i have to go see what that table wants um but really just kind of prioritizing on the fly um did you also learn teamwork through that? I mean, were you, Absolutely. Were you, you know, helping other tables and, and then getting help? And, from it, and it's so funny, man, because it mimics my business now where title is essentially like just one cog in a, in a process along with the realtors and also the uh, mortgage broker and, the lo- and whoever's doing the loan. It really goes back to that because, again, I was selling the service, right, or a product, which in that case was food. Um, but I'm really counting on the back of the house to cook to cook their steak right whatever get it out on time exactly so um you you really have to learn how to work in a in a team environment and um really rely on other people and their fate is kind of or your fate is kind of in their hands um it's got to be okay to ask for help too though i think that's that's absolutely yeah um which which is tough to do because again you don't want maybe your peers to think that you're not doing your job. But I think everyone kind of gets to that point where it's like, Hey, I need you, your help with this. I mean, the same way I've asked Mm -hmm. realtors, Hey, um, slam today. I need you to do this. Sure. And vice versa. Um, Hey, I'm dropping off the keys at your office. They're going to come pick them up later because I'm busy. So one one thing you haven't mentioned that I, I should probably mention is that back in 2009, um, we had the opportunity to work together at the W Hotel Fort Lauderdale, oh, Good times. where I was able to uh, assist you in getting a position as a uh, um, a barback. I did not screw that up, man. Yeah. So that was a so that was a big one. I I just remember, and one of my one of my memories of Tahir is we're on the same shift together, uh, and one of the responsibilities of a barback is to cut the fruit. So Tahir would be responsible for those sometimes, and I would, and we would switch off. And my favorite part would be I would pop into the back room where he was cutting the fruit and he would just be dancing a fool, having a good time, 
basically wiling out in the back room with the fruit and he was having a good time. So basically what I want to say from that is um, stem into a conversation about how do you create a workplace as the owner of this company where your employees can feel like, okay, work is fun. Do you ever, you know, yeah. what do you do to implement that? So one, I think I'm, I'm lucky in the sense of it's an upbeat environment just based on kind of what goes on every day. Um, it's tough. Like I said, I mean, we are literally celebrating someone buying and selling a home every day. So it's tough not to be in good spirits. Obviously it gets, it gets stressful. Um, and I think a lot of it, and, and it's really my job as, as kind of the owner to, to really set that tone, but really the same thing, man. I mean, I'm extremely fortunate to have found something that allows me to live the kind of lifestyle that I want to live as far as having flexibility to do what I want. Um, but more than that, I think my employees, this kind of side topic, but um, I, I think really the the main thing is that I'm not, I'm not a big like money person. And I know that sounds crazy, um, but I don't think money is like the overall motivating factor for me. I'm not like, I don't think I've ever been like, hey, I wanna go out and get like super duper rich. And that's like my motivation for anything. So I think how I run my company is more so, and this goes back to me just kind of being able to sleep at night is I think they know that they're not just a number to me. Um, I mean, we have, we go out every month and the employees will have like a whole night. They bring their families. We do that whole thing. So I think we've really taken steps to foster more of a family type of environment. Um, and they know I genuinely care about them outside of like, hey, you are this employee that I pay X amount of money to and I expect you to do this job um, because they know that's not really my my kind of main source of, of, of motivation. Um, I think it, it's, it builds a back and forth trust with them and kind of a bond because, again, they know they're not just kind of a, a cog in this, in this bigger machine. Um, we've gotten to know each other on a, on a far more personal level. Um, but it's funny you bring that up, man, because I'm always, I feel like I even toe the line sometimes with how much I share with my employees about just my personal life and, like, like, and vice versa, how much we kind of know about each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know all of my employees, significant others very well, their yeah. children, you know what I mean? We have more of a, it's more of a family thing. I think a lot of it, uh, is because of the fact that a lot of my employees are younger, um, either my age or, or even younger. Um, it's probably easier to identify with them and, and to have that almost like quote unquote friendship. Um, but I think, yeah, to answer your kind of initial question, I know I just rambled on, but, um, I think it's really setting the tone within the office to let everyone know that what they do um, and, and themselves as an individuals are important outside of, hey, this is what your tasks are. I, I care about you and your well-being mm-hmm. um, outside of this office. I mean, there's still even ex-employees that we are, are still in contact well, with. I was actually going to end up uh, just asking you about that now. It seems that that type of personal relationship and knowing their significant others and having the once a month type of, um, uh, you know, separate getaway from just the office and the stresses together as a team would seem to probably help retention. 
Do you have any issue with employee retention? Is there a lot of turnover that you've noticed or how have you com- combat that? Quite the opposite, man. So, um, and we kind of spoke about this prior too, but uh, one of the, I'd say probably the biggest challenge I've had, and this is, I mean, a hell of a challenge to have, I'm, I'm grateful for it, um, is, is not so much retention, but uh, scaling, scaling the business. Um, and a lot of people that are, their business is growing, I'm sure this is probably a common theme for you where for me, it's a lot of when when is the right time to continue to hire people? When is the right time? So a, a lot of the scaling issues that I had initially were typically waiting too long to hire another employee until I, I basically was waiting until I saw the workload get to a point where I was almost like on the verge of being like unmanageable for the amount of employees that I had. But at the time it's like, man, but I don't know kind of when that, when really that next like level of work is going to be present to where like it justifies hiring someone now um, to do the work. And especially initially when you set up, I mean, every dollar counts in your company. So you don't want to be hiring someone and, and let's say paying their salary for three months prior to you actually needing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think probably even for your business, it's it's a, it's not so much retention, but kind of scaling and, and trying to time. I honestly probably don't think I even still have it right to this day because I don't think that there's a way to anticipate. It's not um, a mathematical formula. Right. And so you, you kind of just have to rely on your hunch and what you know. Um, but but really scaling was was a huge issue for me in the sense of like, hey, when do I hire that next person? And then as we've continued to grow, um, we're currently opening our sixth office uh, shortly. Um, But once my employees started to spread out, and now, I mean, my main office I started with was Fort Lauderdale. Everyone worked under one roof, so it was very easy to have everyone uh, built, have that camaraderie of, hey, I need your help, because you just have to look to the person to your right and they can help you. Um, once I started expanding and I had employees kind of working out of different offices, I think two things, you kind of lose what you said is that, that family aspect of the office, uh, because a lot of times employees don't meet, but once a month at that, that event that we have. So they don't really have that same, and it went back to what we spoke about in terms of teamwork, but Hey, I'm very busy. Do this for me. They don't really have that personal relationship of like, hey, I'm going to stay after and handle this for this person. So and so. Exactly. Okay. Because of the fact that they're they they don't have a chance to kind of build that. And then, I mean, any company that has multiple locations, it's it's just one extra dynamic that that can go wrong in the sense of uh, communication, because obviously, obviously not everyone is under one roof. So I think those two things. Um, as far as challenges that I experienced. Uh, what do you use to communicate between the offices? So so we have, um, we actually just started using Microsoft Teams, which is like Microsoft's uh, internal, I guess, chat. Okay. Uh, which is almost like a, call it like a Slack or Discord. Okay. Um, the good thing about it is, is that we are uh, heavily integrated with Office 365, so it allows me to I can like attach an email and like send it in a chat and be like, Hey, I need you to check out this relatively quickly. I can kind of talk to the whole staff, but, uh, there's that. And then really the cloud, man, the cloud has been a huge game changer for my business. Uh, not only because like I said, I have 
multiple locations, they need to be ac- they need to be able to access kind of all the employee contact information and all the files from wherever they are. Um, but I'm on the road a lot, so even for myself, uh, whether it's Dropbox, whether it's my kind of settlement software, I'm I'm on the go. I like traveling a lot. Um, I can kind of work from from wherever I am if I have an internet connection uh, because I have access to to all of my office's files. Excellent. Can you tell me? Um what do you what do you believe looking at yourself objectively? What would be your greatest strength as uh, the owner of Title Now? I think, uh, and damn, that's tough, man. It's a level of self reflection I probably don't don't do often enough. Um, I think I understand people well. Um, I think I uh, I think I can sit down with someone, whether it be my employees or uh, potential referral sources, whether it be a realtor. And and really be able to not only relate to them, but but relate to their business and come off as someone genuine and someone that actually cares as opposed to like, hey, I'm really just telling you what you want to hear either to hire you or to have you send me business yeah. um, and, and really do so in a way that, again, comes off genuine. Um, so you think you're good at building rapport? I am, but it's. I think a lot of it has to do with it's something I genuinely enjoy. Um, it's something I like doing. I don't. I'm not. And it, this goes kind of back to what we talked about at the very beginning. I'm not like a lawyer's lawyer. I don't. I. I hate sitting behind a desk. Like mm-hmm. that's not my thing at all. It's never been my thing. Um, I don't like reviewing whatever paperwork and filing stuff in the court. That's not my thing. Um, my thing is kind of getting out there and meeting people and being able to help them and and suit their needs and more so be the rainmaker for my business um, as opposed to being the one kind of stuck in the back office doing all the do work. Do either of your partners do that or you have staff that is handling like the back paperwork? So we're finally to the point, I think, where all the actual operations are handled by the staff. It took a long time to get there. Um, but I think I'm finally at the point to where I think I probably have the most responsibility of the three of us in the sense of uh, overseeing that just because I'm the attorney. So the when operations. something, yeah. Okay. So when something, when something doesn't go right, they want to always speak to the attorney, right? Um, Cause Hey, we're attorney owned and operated. It's not like, Hey, I don't want to pass you off to just someone else. It's like when you call a customer service and they just escalate it to someone yeah. else. That there can't are really help a lot you, right? of times where we get phone calls to the firm and they're like, I want to talk to the owner, the partner. Yeah. Yeah, because they know that that's the decision maker. If someone's able to help them, it's going to be you. Um, so I think I still have a, a level of responsibility there. Um, not nearly as much as I did. And it, it's kind of been a, a, a welcome challenge to remove myself from that uh, because it allows me to, same thing, just have more time to be out there kind of um, working on, on growing my business. Doing as the things you to actually like want to do. Yeah, as opposed to like working in my business and being drowned by the day-to-day stuff. What would you say weakness? Man, that's a tough one. Um, I think I probably... um, I think I tend to maybe knee-jerk. And you know what's so funny, man, is this is why Michael is like such a great partner of mine, is I feel like I am someone that always has all these ideas... And it's literally what I do all day. I'm like, man, how can we be better? How can we grow? How can we do this? 
Um, and I don't really consider that necessarily work. It's just kind of like what my brain is doing at all times because I'm not working on the actual stuff. It kind of allows me to take a step back and really envision the business and, and what I want our vision to be and what I think mm -hmm. the next step should be. But I think I'm, I'm the type to kind of just throw out a million ideas and yeah. Michael's kind of my soundboard where I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Without even really taking the time to like flush out those ideas. Um, so I think him and I, man, are, are a good a good team in the sense of he'll be like, yeah, but da 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 da. And it's funny because sometimes it's such a buzzkill. I'll come into the office and I'll be like, holy shit, what about da 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 da? And I'm like super excited. And with one sentence, he'll be like, yeah, but what happens if X Y Z? And I'm like, damn, you're right. Um, <laughs> so much for that. Um, well, that's funny you say that. So. Um Basically, you were describing that, and when I when I went to Business Mastery with Tony Robbins, I like to talk about some of the things he says. There's artists, leaders, and entrepreneurs, and different uh, personalities of, of businessmen, businesswomen. Yeah. Um, and so, what you described sounds like um, it would be the the entrepreneur. Um, is you know the the person who's the risk taker that's willing to shout out all these ideas and and everything like that it, you know because the, the artists as well I mean there's a little mixture of both um, but th that's interesting that Michael might be your counterpart to control and trying to figure out how to actually implement it yeah so I and like I said I mean it's a it's a great dynamic that I'm I, I've I've come to learn man it would be extremely tough to have gotten this far on my own um, and reach this level of success on my own, um, particularly just juggling, like I said. So I have, I mean, the three of us run the title company, but then I have a whole separate law firm that's just me, that I'm doing day-to-day, -day, every day. So it's kind of like juggling. There's no way I'd be able to do both. Um, what does the law firm focus on? So we tend to, and I'm blessed, man, I would say 80% of my work under the law firm stems from issues that arise during the closing okay um so it might be let's say we do the lien search and the seller says hey uh i paid that pool guy like going back to the what we were speaking about before i i, I paid him here's here's the proof i he cashed this check and the pool guy never uh did what's called the satisfaction of lien basically taking the lien off of the property okay um you enforce it right okay. so we might it might be as simple as a letter. Hopefully it is a letter to the guy saying, hey, uh, this is attorney Nuhani. You didn't do this and it could hold up closing. You'd be liable. Da, 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 da. Hopefully they take care of it. Right. Um, a lot of times it is, especially here in South Florida. So my law firm focuses on mostly transactional stuff. So what that means is a lot of contracts. So yep. maybe when buyers and sellers, uh, they don't have realtors to prepare the actual paperwork. Because let's say you're buying a house from a relative or you're buying your neighbor's house. You don't need a realtor. They, you've already found the house. That's what they were going to help you do. Um, they might come to me directly and say, hey, we want you to draft all the contracts for this. Um, so that kind of stuff or a lot of business stuff. Because, again, my first job was really doing a lot of business litigation stuff. But I think I've transformed it mostly to just business uh, transactional things, which are maybe just creating a business, uh, getting them an EIN number, drafting their operating agreement based on how they want to run the company, 
this person's supposed to get this many shares, this person's supposed to get this many shares, whatever the case may be. Okay. That's so can you tell me have you had any obstacles with your partners yet or anything that you can think off the top of your head like wow that, that was somewhere where we butt heads or, or somewhere we didn't all the agree time. all the time so what do you um, do to, to you know to figure that out it's funny man we have it's very simple to not even give it any kind of uh i don't know I, I i never get to that point because we simply do a vote and there's three of us so yeah it's literally like hey how do you feel about this and there's been times where it was my idea that got shot down. It's been times where it was someone else's idea. I didn't like it. We've moved forward. And I think what that's taught me is a lot of those ideas that I was against ended up working out great for us. And I was adamant we should not do those things. Um, and I think out of in a kind of roundabout way, that helps you build trust within your partners because you've seen something that you've kind of like banged the table against they voted on the other side of it and you're like they're out of their damn mind like what are they thinking and it ends up it ends up working it out worked. in the long run and you kind of are it's almost like a humbling thing it's like listen man you don't know everything you know so i think it's again man i'm blessed to to kind of have that that perspective um because i think look no one knows everything you know and i think a lot of times you are maybe jaded by being so kind of lost in your business where it might be difficult to see that particular decision from a different perspective or to take a step back and really look at it objectively um, because obviously you want to you want something to work out so badly that you maybe don't think about how it's going to work. Um, mm. You just know that you want it to work, but you really haven't done the work to say, okay, I want to accomplish this. This is how I'm going to do, go about doing so. Um, so I think kind of, like I said, being able to, to bounce ideas off of, off of other people that also have a vested interest um, in the business is big. Because I think a lot of people maybe have someone that they can bounce ideas off of, but, but that person's just going to, I mean, there's really no harm or benefit to them. They're probably just going to be like, yeah, man, right. go for <laughs> it, right? And no one wants to be that bearer of bad news or... Uh, kind of that Debbie Downer that's like, hey, Justin, yeah. uh, I know you seem really excited for this, but I think it's a terrible idea and that you shouldn't do it. No one wants to kind of be the deliverer of that um, unless it's their company, too. And then it's like, no, like this is why, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I'm, I'm extremely grateful, man. It's probably saved my ass a bunch. Like I said, I typically will come into the office and be like, I got the best idea ever. Um, <laughs> Uh, and Mike, Mike or Wendy would be like, yeah, it's like, wait, what? Yeah, idea. terrible, <laughs> man. Like, go that. back to the drawing board. No and chance. you know what? I think a lot of times it's not even so much the actual idea. It's maybe my lack of preparation or how I'm describing it to them where they're like, okay, fine. I like the idea, but figure out how we would overcome X, Y, Z. And then it forces me to kind of go back and think about something I hadn't thought about. The obstacles that you're not aware of. Exactly. Right. And then come back because, again, I'm I'm just emotional and I'm coming in and I'm like, hey, what right. about this? You know, is the partnership. Uh, do you mind sharing? Is it equal? Yeah. Or so on that side, so no on one the, has majority share. Right. Exactly. Okay. So on the title now side, it's uh, completely equal. And then the the law firm side, obviously, as the the attorney is just mine. Just yours. OK, great. Um, so. I, one thing, and I mentioned Tony, and I mentioned in my intro introduction to the podcast of myself just talking about 
um, courses and trainings and things I've gone through. Has Tahir done any of that to, to um, just for personally or even business? That- I probably should, man. I haven't done much. I did one. Um, I have friends that are Tony Robbins, like fanatics, um, and they go to all those things. Well, and they're I'm like, not just talking about him. Right. No, I, I know. Um, I probably don't do enough. And it's funny because I just so those that don't know, Justin and I are recently part of a uh, book club um, and I have the, f- the funniest kind of relationship with reading uh, I grew you up don't do it <laughs> I, well no I, di- I didn't do it for a long time so I actually grew or up you can't read I grew up reading religiously um, every Saturday and Sunday we used to get the Miami Herald this is like before the internet so I used to wake up early and uh, the sports page always that was like my thing like for people Saturday, listening that's a newspaper Miami yes read the newspaper every Saturday and Sunday. Um, I could tell you, hey, who the number four scorer was. And again, this is before the internet where you couldn't just look it up, you know? Um, So I would read religiously. Um, Even same thing, man, all throughout throughout school, um, whatever the hell it was, every Goosebumps book under the sun, right? Great, Um, great. Shout out to Shaka on Shaka Street. Um, Sick. So, so R.L. Stein. My yeah, man. man. So I think once law school came around, it took because I had to read so much Ugh. for not pleasure. And it was like something I was forced to do. Killed it. it killed reading for me. So I had not read a full book. When was so that was 20, 2012. Yeah, no. So that was 2008. I started. Uh, law school or 2009 I did not read a full book for 10 years for 10 years did not read a book so last year um, was your first last year was my first Congrats, man part man. of the book Welcome club back so to the team. yeah it's um how to it feel it's nice so it's so funny i i i regret the, that lost decade of of not reading because i've gotten so much out of the few books that i've read in the last 4 or 5 I'm months ask, or whatever like, what have you read recently um so a lot of it is part of the the, uh, the book club that we're a part of. Um, last month, we read a book called Fanocracy. So the book Fanocracy, the whole premise of it, and it goes back to what I've mentioned earlier, is how to, for your business, how to create even not even just satisfied customers, but how to create advocates and fans of your business that are really out uh, cheering for you and you build that kind of level of, of trust and, and level of loyalty with them beyond just, hey, you're a commodity. I need your services. Uh, I need to, I, I should buy that. Right. So and we've talked about phonocracy on the podcast. So okay, good. the listeners know, and um, it's David Meerman Scott is the author. Um, so before phonocracy, what were you, what were you into? Um, the other book for the book club, maybe. Do you remember what the name of it was? I don't. I was I joined after. Wow. <laughs> um, damn it. Hold on. I want to look it up, actually. Give me a second, because this is killing me. Uh, Felipe, oh, Power of Habit? Power of Habit, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Felipe, Excellent who book. started the book club, would kill me if I didn't remember the name yeah. of, of the first book. Um, so the Power of Habit is, is exactly that, kind of just um, talking about the things we do maybe subconsciously and just being more aware of little decisions i think that we make over our everyday lives that affect kind of the end result in a much greater way because it's exponential so uh that first book really it was tough because it really made me 
kind of audit every single hour of my day, like throughout the entire week. The little choices, right? The little choices, man. Um, And so like one of the big things for me was I always wake up um, at like 6 a.m. before the sun comes up. I always pray and meditate in the morning. Which I want to talk about. Uh, It's one of the things I do every morning. So most of the time I'm exhausted after doing so. I've like cleared my mind. I'm good, but it's super early. Let me take my ass right back to bed. So I'm like laying down and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to lay down and do that thing, right? <laughs> just going to lay down for a couple minutes. Um, I wake up and it's like 830 and I'm like, shit, I already have employees being like, hey, this is what's on deck for today. Got to get in the shower because I'm running late. I run out of the house. I don't get a chance to either like make a smoothie or eat breakfast. I get to the office. I want something quickly. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Let me go on DoorDash, get some food delivered. Oh, no. Um, so I skipped the gym in the morning because I decided to sleep instead. Uh, it's just crazy. But that's like one like little example of how one decision in the morning has this kind of domino effect throughout everything. There's another book by Darren Hardy that rings true and it just came to my mind called The Compound Effect. And all of the basically the product of several little decisions that you make every day. Um, it's, it's it basically, you know, goes neck and neck with power of habit. Yeah. Um, so that that book, reading that book kind of, um, you know, was a good experience for you to take a look at your decisions in the morning. And so have you changed a little bit? Have you, um, have you? I've tried, man. So it is it was more humbling than anything because I realized I think a lot of entrepreneurs, your number one. I mean, things get very busy, obviously, and you don't have the luxury of working kind of like a nine to five strict schedule because you're always kind of thinking about the next thing. How do I get here? How do I accomplish this goal? I think it's easy to tell yourself, hey, I don't have the time to do the things that I want to do or do the things that I need to be doing. And really sitting down in that book made me audit, again, man, every hour of my entire week, starting with like Monday morning all the way to Sunday night. And what you realize is that there's so many hours that you are just doing nothing. And this might be a good time to step in and say, like, for the people listening, you don't have to read the book to do that audit. Yeah. Like, to take a, uh, a note of what you're doing during the day and then try to clear. You know, there's a lot of people that I talk to. You're like, I, I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the time to do that. Well, if you did that audit and you took a look at wh- the ways you were using your time, you know, you'd probably find out that you're using a lot of your time on social media or doing stuff that ultimately isn't what you want to be doing because it's something that's distracting you or watching TV or, or whatever it is where you could be doing the things you want to do, but you've decided to do something differently. Yeah. So I think it goes back and one of my main principles just in life um, is really just seeking a healthy balance in, in anything. Um, even if, even if you do that audit and you, and you, realize you're working too much on your business like it's okay to take a step back and be like i'm driving myself nuts like no one can do that forever and that's like something else i learned is like listen we're all humans like you can't just go balls to the wall every single day forever like there's going to be a day where you burn out um or you're sick or something happens and you're just not able to do it um I'm just a big believer in balance, man. I'm not a, and I know this is probably like sacrilegious on this podcast, but I'm not a workaholic. I don't like working. Um, 
What? I'm not someone that Yo, I'm, get off the show. I, I, yeah, I'm not <laughs> someone that enjoys work. I love what I do when I am working, um, but I think enjoyment is relative. Like if you ask me, would I rather be in the office or on a beach somewhere? Like having a pina colada like that's obviously a no-brainer right so i feel like 95 percent of the people listening would say yeah exactly office. i mean yeah right colada. um <laughs> yeah so i don't enjoy working so i think a lot of it is auditing your time and what i more so got out of it not only is like hey i'm spending too much time doing this is uh really working smarter um and I've, I realized like, hey, I'm typically spending X amount of hours per week doing this uh, because I'm doing it later in the day. But if I do it earlier in the day, I could really only spend half as much time doing it in the morning. So uh, do you find that you work better at morning or at night? I'm, or not, a morning, I'm not a morning person. Okay. Um, I, so it's tough for me. The, the reason being is typically in the morning is when the phones are the busiest in the office. That's when people are calling, hey, I want to get a... Uh, kind of status on my closing so the phone's constantly ringing um so i don't really get the time to sit down and really focus on any one task it's more so kind of putting out fires or scheduling that day's schedule or whatever it is um i'm more of a i'm probably like most productive from the hours of like three to seven p.m wow um yeah so that's like my my like go-to well it's good to um, know that about yeah, you yeah and figuring out when you're most productive i just don't I'm, I'm like torn in too many different directions in the morning there's just too much going on um typically i so a lot like a big part of my job is being out and about and meeting new referral partners so i might have lunch with a realtor that day so um typically the morning because i'm out of the office in the afternoon is going to be hey, let me just get whatever I need done. That's like most important. That's like on my yeah. front front burner. Um, and I think that allows like the second half of the day to like kind of catch up and, and just do other stuff. So going back on something you said earlier, I wanted to touch on how, we, can you tell me a little bit uh, more about your um, your religious background and yeah. prayer and how important that is to you? Uh, the most important. So. Um, I'm Muslim, so we pray, we pray five times a day, like I said. So I have a morning prayer. Um, I see it as almost like therapeutic meditation, man. So five times a day, I kind of get to unwind, and it doesn't matter how. Like, it's something that I've just created time for in my life. What times are those? Uh, so it's typically like first thing in the morning, like 6 o'clock. Uh, the uh, second time is like mm, between like 1 and 2 p.m. Okay. Uh, third time is like basically like at the end of the workday, like 5 o'clock which is great because it allows me to kind of like unwind and be like, all right, that was a hell of a day. Let me kind of just relax uh, before before I can really like turn off that work switch. Um, and then t- typically like 6.30 uh, at night and then one, one more time before I go to bed every night, uh, which again is like probably... It allows me to like turn my brain off. And is that and like, is that right. um, is that the normal amount of times? Uh, for yeah, like yeah. So devout, it's five times about Muslim. Yep. Okay. And how does that affect you day to day? Like, and what what are how long do you pray for? Uh, it's it's very short. So it's maybe let's say ten minutes. Um, okay. But just enough time for me to like unwind because I'm sure everyone's dealt with that where there's like clear your head. Yeah, clear your head 
kind of just like do some breathing exercises and kind of like do that whole thing. Yeah. Like, all right, cool. Let me like recharge. Was it hard for you to start doing that or was it something oh, implemented from childhood? Or, no, or like no, no, no. It was, um, I don't even think I really, really started praying like that until maybe five years back. Um, I've always like gone to the mosque. So we go to the mosque on Friday afternoons. Um, that's typically something I've always done. Um, but in, in terms of just making sure it's a, a part of my life on like a daily basis, that's just like a few years old. Okay. Um, was there something that prompted you to do this five years ago or start? Uh, I don't think so, man. You know what's funny is I don't really remember if I had like kind of like a come to Jesus epiphany, right? I don't know if I had one of those. Um, I don't really recall if there was like something specific that triggered it. Um, I mean, luckily, it's not like there was like some kind of traumatic event or anything like that. Which typically um, happens. Yeah. When you so. Ask somebody. Um, I don't even think it was anything like that. I think one day it was just kind of like, hey, this is something that I want to be uh, a bigger part of my life. It's it's without like getting too deep, but it's really my main motivation for waking up every day in terms of like uh, how I conduct myself and um, really gives me kind of like a set of moral code and standard mm -hmm. um, that I want to live by and really just structure uh, more so than anything. I think it's just given me uh, structure in my life. Um, and people kind of get that from whatever they do. That just happens to be what gives it to me. And that's my medium. Um, now, do you found you found it hard to start doing? Um, but once you started, did it did it become a rhythm? How did I think that it's like anything, man? I think it's like going to the gym, right? Like getting in the gym is very difficult that first day. But once you start going for a month, you start feeling good about yourself. You start seeing some results. Um, and obviously, I didn't see physical results. Mm -hmm. But I think I was a lot more um, just at peace. My soul was at peace. I was uh, a lot more relaxed. I think, um, I think work didn't have the same effect on me in the sense that it goes back to kind of what we just talked about in terms of like feeling burnt out or feeling like overwhelmed because I took times throughout the day to just be like, all right, cool. Like leave that all behind. Like let me just worry about like my breathing right now, right. you know, for a couple minutes. And yeah. even if it doesn't have to be for like a long time, but those like 10 minutes were perfect for me as like a reset. And then I'm like, I, I'm good. Let me get back to what I was doing. Yeah. Well, what was interesting is my, my previous guest, uh, Deborah Heslin, she's a master NLP trainer and uh, high performance coach. Uh, she actually has breathing exercises on her website because she, oh, wow. she says it's one of the most important things you can do to de-stress and to declutter and, you know, along with meditation, et cetera. And th the reason I ask you like how long it took for you to get in the swing of things with that is that I've always, when I talk to people about it, a lot of the people that I talk to are reluctant to even try because they, it, to them, it's like very difficult just to sit still for yeah. a minute to clear your mind or to breathe, um, to do those things that I find very advantageous and apparently so do you. I think, um, it's just a matter of kind of searching for what brings you peace. Again, that's that's what does it for me is, like you said, those those 10 minutes of kind of just self-reflection um, happen to help me. I know some people get their kind of de-stressor through other things. I have friends that go play golf after work, and that's yeah. kind of like what does it for them. There's some people that uh, need a drink after work, and that's kind of what does it for them. You is, know? There, is there a specific prayer you do? Uh, yeah, so there's like a structured... You don't uh, have to say prayer. it, but I just... Yeah, yeah, curious. yeah. So there's like a structured prayer, and then 
uh, typically after is almost like a freestyle, like where I okay. would just t- typically pray for gratitude, whatever it is, trying to manifest things in my own life. Right. Um, that, uh, and yeah, so that's kind of how it is. Awesome. Can you tell me, and this is the first time I've been able to talk to someone in this way about this particular topic, but has, yeah. has your religion at all created any obstacles through business or personal life that you can share with us? Um, I mean, I've never really thought about it like that because it takes precedence over really anything for me. So I mean, like if you were about to do a deal and it, it fell through because of that. Oh, probably. Or, or anything I mean, look, like every, every, so like our, our church time, Right where we would go to the mosque is on Friday afternoon, uh-huh. um, and you go to one here locally. Yeah, I go to one here in Fort Lauderdale. Got so it. just go pray for thirty minutes and come back. But it's at one o'clock. It's from like one to two on Friday. Friday is typically the busiest day for Your me closing in the office. Day, yeah, sometimes. But it's just non-negotiable. So I'm sure there's things that maybe haven't uh, happened because of that, but mm-hmm. I don't see it as conflict it's more so like hey that wasn't yeah. meant to happen and right. and i'm okay with that because again this takes precedence um so if it wasn't meant to happen the universal lineup maybe in another way whatever and for um, jews it's shabbat so it's almost yeah. the same but it's after sundown or whatever on um on fridays uh so that's interesting so um you know as we kind of wind down a little bit are you, are you into any charities or any sort of uh fundraising activities that you want to promote um, on the show? So, so, I mean, like you said, we we founded uh, Connect for a Cause a while back. Um, I think the big one, and both of us are involved in this, is uh, the Great Strides Walk for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is coming up in April, I think. Yeah, April 19th. Um, and that's one that we've both been involved in for a couple of years now. Is Title now sponsoring um, a team? Yeah, so we, we typically will... Uh, really sponsor the event and for both myself and Justin uh, we have a close friend whose uh, son has cystic fibrosis so I think for at least myself and I'm sure Justin as well um, it kind of hits home and takes a personal toll in the sense of like hey we see the really what that can do for us someone that has it every single day and kind of um, how it can it can handicap you in the sense of uh, just taking extra precautions and extra measures just to be able to live like any other kid, you know? Right. Um, you definitely see it firsthand. And so what, what I'm going to do, obviously, um, we have a team for Weinstein Legal. We're, there will be a team for Title Now. It all under, we'll all be under Team Castro. Um, if you go to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation website under the Great Strides um, uh, the walk that's in uh, Davie on April 19th. You'll be able to donate under Team Castro, uh, or you could join one of our teams under that team, either Team Weinstein Legal or Team Title Now, uh, to be able to donate. I'll put it in the body of the uh, the podcast uh, as well. Um, so that's that's great. That's a great um, uh, charity to get involved with. Um, where do you see Title Now going in the future? Uh, do you have like a five-year plan, ten-year plan? Um, how do you how do you uh, look at so that? So we're actually currently, I think, kind of the biggest thing on on my plate right now is um, looking to purchase commercial space to expand our offices here in Fort Lauderdale, um, and it's something I've been going back and forth with for a couple of weeks. So, in terms of uh, the immediate future, that's kind of like the next big move is is moving into a into a larger space we've outgrown our offices here in fort lauderdale um 
but finding something also we're located in Flagler Village, which is an area of Fort Lauderdale, but um, really like that neighborhood. I live there. It's, my office is basically walking distance from my house. So um, just trying to find something still in the area um, to really set up as our kind of like main headquarters. Uh, that's that's really in the immediate future. Yeah. Um, more so than that, man, I think long term continue to scale which is you think again, across the state like where are you um, gonna go so it's tough i don't know it could be a matter of um just staying here in south florida what i've learned is again scaling is tough for the reasons that i mentioned with not everyone i mean it's just it just adds to the moving parts of of having an office and i mean what i would like to do is maybe just have a more significant footprint um here in south florida so we have five current offices now um, getting ready to open our sixth office like next month. Where is that going to be? Uh, Coral Springs out west. Nice. Um, and so I think kind of just going back to challenges in terms of what I faced is not only with scaling, um, but what comes along with that is adding office locations. So, um, and I'm sure you're going probably through this now, but it's almost like for us, it's really the chicken and the egg because it's like, for example, this Coral Springs office, um, and again, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this bind. If you are an entrepreneur that's thinking about expanding into other areas, you're probably dealing with the same thing. But a lot of it is like, okay, do I set up shop and then start marketing that area to eventually get business from there? Or do I wait until I am getting enough business in that area and then put a physical office Um and you never know kind of how to time it right or how much is enough business to be getting from that particular area before you decide to commit to a physical brick well, and mortar office Let's just put it up space. for a vote, bro. That's why yeah, you got right? partners. I know, I know. Um, so the vote was like, let's open an office. Let's open an office. Okay. So this is probably the first one we've gotten right. The other ones, it was almost like maybe, I don't know, man, blind faith. Uh, luckily, they all worked no, out. No, man, you pray. It's not uh, there you go, man. Five times, <laughs> five times daily. Five times um, has got to be enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> the uh, yeah. So I think that's another kind of challenge, and and really, what's next for Title Now is that. Uh, I think ultimately, what ends up happening with Title companies is especially like a local. I mean, call it like a local mom and pop small business, but um, they end up getting swallowed up by like the bigger bigger title underwriters old republic fidelity well essentially almost like any kind of um insurance company they'll come in and and buy your book of business and and really just buy is you that out. the goal for you it is to for me man it is for me what about only, the partners only because well we would all get bought out yeah um, but are they are they so, on board too yeah yeah so okay. i think that's almost that's that's the and again it goes back sure i could do this forever i don't i don't enjoy working like if you yeah. ask me in five years, would you rather have 10 offices or would you rather just be out enjoying your life? Like I, you know what I mean? It's a no brainer for me. Do I you, don't. Does Tahir have any other ideas for business or any other uh, passions that you see yourself taking on? Like, let's say you sell the company, right? Yeah. Are you going to invest in something else or do you have any other goals? So it's funny, man. I think, um, I think real estate's always been an interest of mine. Um, I, I could see myself kind of staying within realist. I just, I, over the years, I've, I've accumulated a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things. So I could probably leverage that into um, whether it be real estate investing and kind of growing that whole side of my property portfolio. Um, 
I think it goes, <laughs> what you just said is funny because again, even before I started the title company, I was always interested in real estate. I think I would be reluctant. I don't know if I have any other like overwhelming passions. I'm a huge music head. Yeah. Uh, music is probably like my number one passion, I'd say. Um, Favorite artist, go. I have a lot, man. <laughs> I have a lot. Just list them Hip- off. Hip hop is my, hip hop is my shit, man. So hip hop is, um where my heart will always be outside of that sports as well. But I think what I've kind of learned with, with real estate and what I've learned through talking to other people that have kind of set up side ventures and almost like went after, let's say their passion is, and this goes back to, I, I mentioned it briefly with reading, but once you have to start doing something for a living and it's no longer like something you get enjoyment out of, whether it's listening to music or going to concerts or playing or watching sports and all of a sudden that becomes your job um you tend to see it in a different light so i think i'd be very careful about in terms of like chasing a passion or whatever it is um i think that's something i would kind of keep in mind is like hey in what capacity and then just making sure that it's not something that would take away my kind of enjoyment from that thing now that it's something i have to do rather than like hey in my free time so currently I'm like growing my vinyl collection. It's like been like what I'm one of my pet projects these days. It's a hobby. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so any other hobbies? I travel, man. I travel a lot. Um, Where were you last? My last trip, I went to Breckenridge, Colorado for our good friend Wade's bachelor party. Um, Ski or snowboard? That was we skied. Okay. Um, so it's funny. We didn't even ski. We... <laughs> got these our friend Felipe so I'm terrible I've only been skiing like one day ever um, our friends are like professional snowboarders they're like all about it go every year um, anyway Felipe found online these like mini skis that <laughs> are almost like they're called snowblades okay. are uh, super easy to learn with um, and you don't have actual ski poles they're 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 like half the size of like long skis um, so we use those. So to answer your question, neither. Snowblades for the win. Um, Did you go recently, like Morocco? or I went where? to Morocco for New Year's Eve, yes. Um, okay. I, What's your favorite trip in so far? Let's just go there. Morocco's great, man. Morocco, I always say. So I try to never go to the same place twice, um, obviously, if I can help it. I went back to Morocco within like a year of going the first time. Um, I just fell in love with the country, the people, the food awesome so they actually fly direct out of miami it's like a seven hour flight uh super convenient it's probably like the same as going to europe um but there's so much more like history culture there that i i really tend to enjoy um favorite trip beyond that man i i went to japan for my birthday last year and that was like outrageous um i don't even know how to people are like hey what's japan like i (laughs) it's so crazy and weird i don't even know how to describe it to someone that's like never been there um it's just wild. It's 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 something you have to see, man. It's like so different than like what we have on like just a day to day basis, and like how they live their lives, and like what's normal there and what's not um, is funny. Did you did you learn anything from traveling? I think it is, and it's like another thing that I think is extremely important for anyone to do. Maybe I'm bias because it has really helped me see a much uh, 
different part of the world that we as Americans probably don't see on a day-to-day basis and have um, perspective for humanity, like a more of a, a, a wide kind of wide-eyed perspective in terms of how people actually live in other places and uh, their customs and their culture. And uh, I think we tend to have like almost an arrogant view of the world in the sense of, um, hey, this is how we do things here. This is how they either are done everywhere else or this is how they should be done everywhere else. And I think traveling really gives you a sense of like, one, appreciation um, for just how good we have it um, in so many different ways. Uh, but but more than that, uh, like I said, just that kind of broadened perspective of, of the world and it's not like, hey, I'm not the center of the universe. There's so much out there to see and there's so much out there to be grateful for and experience. Um, the world's a big place, man. So I think that is like my number one hobby is really trying to see as many places as I possibly can. Awesome. So, you know, we're, cl- we're closing up here. We're uh, finishing up. And I know you've mentioned a lot of different pieces of advice and things uh, that have propelled you in your business. Would you say you have any sort of other closing advice, anything you might have left out? <sighs> I think uh, it's ultimately? different for everyone. And I think um, I think it's important to recognize that. So I think it's not I think you one have to know yourself more so than anything. And then I don't think it's ever going to be a situation where you can just straight mimic, let's say, even if it's your mentor, how someone else did something and copy it to a T because your circumstances in some way are going to be different. Um, So I think it's I think it's probably most beneficial to if you are seeking advice or if you are seeking kind of, hey, how do I get started talking to numerous people um, to to kind of almost like aggregate those ideas and then filter out and say, okay, this is what's going to work for me. Um, Cause again, what worked for someone else might not work for you and vice versa. They might tell you, Hey, I don't like that idea, but uh, it's really about like being true to yourself and being genuine and say, Hey, this is what, this is how I'm going to stand on my own. And this is how I want the vision of my company to progress so these are going to be the values i instill this is going to be how i am going to go about adding value this is how i'm going to measure success this is how i'm going to whatever the case may be but i think it's important to recognize that those things are going to be different for every person and every business um there's a million factors that that kind of go into that um so i think that would be one man and then really just i think it's extremely tough to to kind of see the forest for the trees. So it's important to kind of step back and really not get lost in the day-to-day of of the monotony of whatever you're doing because I don't care what it is. I'm sure at some point it's going to become monotonous to where these are just tasks. And it's important to um, really take a step back again and, and, and kind of see see it for what it is and, and, and really just appreciate appreciate the bigger picture. You're, you're able to to do what you're doing and and you're not I think the the biggest benefit of really being an entrepreneur is not really having to answer to anyone um so I think there's a huge blessing in in just really that um is really having your freedom in the sense of like hey I get to be kind of the the creator of my destiny I get to be really the writer of these chapters 
and I really don't have the excuse of saying, hey, this person's holding me back because this is how I would do it differently um, is, is really just being able to manifest whatever it is and, and the ball's in your court. Yeah, well, that's, that's great advice. And even if you're not um, an entrepreneur or CEO or you work for someone else, you can take that advice and, and you could use it uh, to manifest your, your personal life or manifest anything else that, that you'd want. So we appreciate uh, you to here being on the show. I appreciate if, you having me, man. Yeah, if um, we're going to have you probably on for another episode, if that's cool at some yeah. point. Um, and uh, I would say if you want to uh, ask to hear anything, we'll provide um, some of his, probably his email. Uh, you could look uh, up title now at uh, is it www.titlenowfl.com correct <laughs> yep that's right and then my email address is to here t-a-h-i-r at titlenowfl.com awesome and um, you can also follow him on twitter at uh, tahir esq that's right if you want he's an avid uh, tweeter <laughs> uh, don't expect any of this advice it's literal nonsense yeah. that I think of uh, a lot of lots of hip hop and sports uh, stuff going that's on that's my passion man yeah. so uh, thank you again and um Look forward to having you on in the future. Appreciate it.